0: Hey, this is Tyler Murphy, and you're listening to the Lonely Painter podcast. And uh, today I'm just recording, uh, doing lift again, sitting up here on the rims. But I've got my laptop, got my Yeti microphone, and uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, the background noises aren't aren't too uh, distracting. Today I thought I would um, talk about. Uh, Joker movie. I went to that uh, maybe a week and a half ago with a friend and uh, just have been thinking about it quite a bit talking with other friends about it, kind of hearing what the usual feedback is uh, what a lot of people are saying about it and um, so I, I wrote a little little thing about that um, If you... Uh, if oh I guess I'd like to say if if uh, the audio and stuff I, I know that like on a recent episode uh, I was recording something on my phone and it and all of a sudden I got a text message and it was like really loud when I listened back to that so sorry if I blew anybody's eardrums out or startled anybody there um, but if you uh, have any questions comments about the podcast feel free to email in if the background noise is something that uh, that is really bothersome maybe I'll take that into more consideration Um, and uh... uh, but otherwise I'm just kinda winging it each time okay so these are some of my thoughts on the Joker movie which for me was... it just kinda disturbed me a little bit Okay, so I think that the common reading of the film is something like, look how society grinds down a person and eventually causes some to snap. Um, You know, in that film, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Arthur, you know, it it starts out just showing how he's just treated like crap by everybody. And so we're kind of... I think the easy... um, uh, story that we could tell uh, as to why as to how the Joker became the Joker is just is to link it to all these bad things that are happening to him um, and that's what I'm going to be critiquing and kind of uh, uh, questioning whether that's really the the uh, right way to approach looking at uh Uh, people who commit uh premeditated evil acts of violence so uh again i think that the common reading of the film is look how society grinds down a person and eventually causes some to snap but i think that the better question is why do some snap and others don't it should be noted that when arthur kills the three men who attack him on the subway so spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie um I guess I should have said that from the beginning, but there's three men who are, uh, they work for Wayne Enterprises. They're kind of these, uh, suave, just, just kind of like jock character jerks. And, uh, they start making fun of, or I guess they're originally, they're like, uh, you know, trying to, they're hitting on this girl on the subway and and she gets uncomfortable and walks away and they're just gross just bros and uh because uh arthur has this nervous condition he starts um laughing hysterically and they um he can't help but laugh when he's nervous um or scared or or angry or something um think, mostly nervous. Uh, And so he ends up getting beaten up by these three men. uh, And at that point, though, he has a pistol that a friend has given him, or at least we're led to believe that a friend has given him this pistol. And so he he kills these three men sort of in self-defense and in in rage. And so I'm arguing that that's not what makes the Joker, that the Joker is made. It's only later that he begins to buy into the larger sort of poetic, causal narrative that, that others concoct in an attempt to make sense of the killings. So it's kind of like the news and the, the media and uh, other people talking about the killings and trying to make sense of and justify, and th- that this narrative starts to get woven That it was, you know, for some, that there was some political, um, sort of statement behind it. So, in this sense, the, what creates the Joker is not the contingent circumstances of his life. Not all the bad things that happened to him, getting tied, you know, chained up to a radiator when he was a kid by his mom, or having a horrible mom or, uh, um, you know, all these different, uh, you know, getting, getting beat up by other people, but that maybe, you know, that is maybe the, the, maybe, maybe the fair thing to say is that that does create the sort of, uh, perfect conditions for what I think is the true cause. Um, so, so what creates the Joker is not the contingent circumstances of his life, but rather his interpolation, his being given an identity into an ideological structure or metanarrative. In the same way, Hitler had lots of bad things happen to him and we say ah you know if only he he had not been rejected from art school if if only he'd had a better upbringing but you know those are arguments that we could say for just about anybody it, every single one of us faces uh our own unique set of hardships and rejection but it was rather Hitler's fascination with a poetic vision of a non-antagonistic, whole unified society that drove him. That vision of a unified society, obviously not his other goals, the vision of a unified society should inspire us all as well. We should strive to bring about a future in which poor are not forgotten and overlooked, but what we really need to be on the lookout for is how we rationalize the existence of problems within our society. When we think of them as the effect of some cause that stems from a particular people group, that's when we're in Nazism. That's when we're scapegoating, and that's what we must be on the lookout for. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So even today, whether in this presidency or the last, we easily think, you know, if only this administration were out, then we could set things straight. You know, we could get back to business as usual kind of thing. We long for the good old days. Uh, You know, and it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. that's, That's just human nature. But I think, though, like, what if the antagonism is not contingent to the current bad actors, uh, but rather is constitutive of human life itself? So my point is that we shouldn't merely critique the person in power. We shouldn't just do that. I, I do think we should, you know, call a spade a spade. We should oppose uh, oppressive speech and acts and and... I do think that there are better and worse ways of governing, but we should, I think, also really think hard about the underlying narratives that drive each of our lives. Because the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves are usually not true. As you know, kind of one of my favorite philosophers out there that I reference, here on the podcast, quite a bit, uh, Slavoj Žižek contends. You know, he says, and this isn't an original to him, but he's the one I've heard it most from, but that it's, you know, it's false to think that without God, bad people would not do good things. This is kind of this uh, idea that gets prescribed to uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky that um, if there were. If there were no God, then there'd be no morality. Which, like, in some sense, that could be true, but I think we should also consider that it's only, it's actually only something like God or some other poetic meta narrative that can make good people do bad things. And this is what we saw on 9 11. So if you perceive yourself as an instrument of God, then of course you can do whatever, use whatever means necessary uh, to justify the end that you feel called towards. This is what Kierkegaard referred to as the teleological suspension of the ethical, that God's plan trumps human morality. Um, In other words, it is possible that God could call you to do something that you would never be able to reconcile with humanity's notion of right and wrong, just like being called to sacrifice one's own son. And that's why for Kierkegaard, there's that, uh, we have to take a leap of faith. So personally, I'm more and more convinced that the underlying temptation, the superegoic imperative, which by superego, you know, what I mean by that is it's all of the voices within our society, our parents' voices, our friends' voices, our, uh, the advertisements on TV, everything out external to ourselves that we as individuals internalize. That's the superego. And it's it tells us uh, good, uplifting things, and it also judges us, too. Um, and I think, though, that the judging superegoic, Imperative um, is something, uh, something like uh, that. It's always trying to uh, convince us that that we have to have it all, and we run ourselves ragged, fearing that we'll miss out, fearing we'll be seen as less than, fearing we'll let others down, uh, and we see this temptation the temptation to have it all right there in the biblical garden story that we desire to be like God. That is that we desire a non-antagonistic existence. We desire to lack nothing. So, and this is the point that I, you know, just keep on revolving around in so many of these podcast episodes, learning to, Um, live with that existential angst, that ontological lack, that uh, division within our subjectivity, uh, uh, the unconscious for Freud, you know. There's so many different ways that uh, lots of different philosophers and theorists talk about this uh, not at oneness with ourselves, that the way that you become sort of most whole and complete is through realizing that that's an illusion. And, and when we kind of give up that, um, striving for that, then we're able to kind of sit back and not kill ourselves and shame ourselves and feel so guilty about not living up to these super egoic imperatives. So I've, my prayer for, for myself and for everyone I know is that we might stop and take a, take a breath, and just experience grace for who we already are. Lacking, imperfect beings, remembering that Jesus Himself did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. And I think that we need communities. This is this is what I am trying to do. Uh, is to create um, spaces, communities where we can lay bare our struggles and our imperfections with others, that we revolve around questions of how do we give each other hope? How do we lift each other up? And I think so much of that has to do with, you know, first being honest, leading first with our own confessions of of sins, confessing that to ourselves that, man, I, I have fallen short of where I'd like to be. Um, we confess that within our own being. And then when we confess that to others that, you know, I'm struggling, my life isn't as shiny and amazing as, as I, as sort of the propaganda poster, uh, that I present to everyone. And when we are able to do that, um, I think something amazing happens when, when two or more people get together and they just lay bare their struggles and they love each other, I, you know, that's, that's when Jesus says that's when I'm there. And the more and more that I experience uh, moments like this, the, the healing that happens during those moments is incredible and, uh, hard to explain with words. So I'd argue that story night is, is a community that allows for that. I think people find the same acceptance, um, these kinds of experiences in AA, especially when they, when they go there and for that first time, you know, they might go and sit there for time after time after time. And, um, and, you know, it goes around the room, introductions go, goes around the room, and finally they say, you know, uh, you know, my name's Tyler, and I'm an alcoholic. And they just admit that to themselves. They confess their shortcoming to themselves and to others. And then grace floods in. I think that this kind of grace, this connection with um with others, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily happen at at story night or at AA or at church. It also can happen just at any time. It can happen when you're sitting having drinks at a bar. Just yesterday I was talking with my friend Brian and and just even by revolving around the question of how do we give each other hope and then and then you know um and what what are you struggling with here's what i'm struggling with what are you struggling with just in being open with each other and and each of us kind of you know taking off that the the mask that is wanting everybody to believe that we've got it all together um it's amazing how connected uh I felt with Brian, and and he said the same thing, and we were able to kind of un- unveil some uh, and and come to realize some things within each of our own lives that and and start to get our own stories uh, maybe more uh, accurate to our material reality. Um, the stories that we're telling ourselves start to come into alignment with what's actually happening within our lives. So, um, I guess just to kind of wrap this up, my fear uh, for this, my fear kind of from this Joker movie is just that if it's not properly understood, that that it itself could become a sort of poetic narrative. Uh, that people who are downtrodden might find themselves sort of identifying with and, and find themselves in the grip of, and that it could be this narrative that, that some use to justify violence. Um, for Zizek, you know, he, he just really warns against and, and points out that so much at least premeditated violence is it's not um it's not totally spontaneous it's if because it's premeditated there's some sort of a poetic some uh you know the person gives themselves over to some sort of a poetic metanarrative feeling as though they're bringing about some uh necessary um, end, uh, I mean, it's really, I guess it's the same as, like, Thanos in, in the Avengers movies, that he went, he would, he, um, believed himself to be the necessary instrument of, of, uh, you know, snapping half, half the people out of existence, and that he was the only one strong enough He was the only one that knew how necessary it was and he was the only one with the uh, courage of character to go through with it and to, um, you know, sacrifice even the person he loved most, his daughter Gamora, to reach that end. I think we should, we should um, give ourselves over to higher visions and higher goals but we have to take it really seriously. Uh, We've got to be extremely careful and and reflect reflect upon what those higher goals are that we've given ourselves to. So we should search earnestly, just as Soren Kierkegaard did, for, this is to quote him, the idea for which I can live and die. And I think if we find it, if we find that idea, that we should pursue it with fear and trembling, um, with some humility, you know, and, and, and reflecting and questioning, you know, that we seek justice, that we love mercy and truth, and that we um, walk humbly with our God. We walk humbly towards that uh, larger something that we feel called towards knowing that it is possible that we could be wrong um and that's why that's why it's faith because faith allows for that possibility that I I might be wrong I was just reading a uh, some more Kierkegaard and, or I was actually I was watching a video from the BBC on Kierkegaard and, they were talking about as, that Kierkegaard loved to walk through this particular forest and, um, you know, as you're traveling through a forest, you might come to a, a fork in the path and you've got to choose which way to go. For Kierkegaard, faith is that it's commitment after reflection. So you reflect, you come to the fork in the road, you reflect, and then you make a decision and you commit to that, and that's what faith is. And then you might come to another fork in the road, and again, you reflect, and then it's commitment um, to the choice that you make. And, um, yep, I guess, uh, Think that's all I have for this week. I hope you're all doing well and thanks for listening. please feel free to write in. if I am if you feel I'm totally off base, you know uh, with some of the things I've been talking about on the podcast, I'd, I'd love to know. I think that it's it's really important uh, that we have spaces where the the free flowing of ideas can happen. it's It's really only through, confrontation with other perspectives that we, that we do start to move forward. Um, And I've found in my own journey into philosophy and all this, and probably if you listen to the podcast, you could probably find how things have shifted over the past year and a half that I've kind of been doing this or however long it is. But it's only through the process of writing and reflecting and putting these podcasts out there, and and sometimes I'll go back and listen to something from a while back and go, man, I don't that doesn't resonate with me anymore. But then that it, that helps with the, the forward progress. So, anyways, if you have anything that you want to want to write in with, and, uh, any issues you have uh, with any of the ideas that I've been expressing um, please do all right thanks so much and uh, hope you're doing well be good to yourselves